Okay. So tonight what we're going to look at is Joseph in the prison house. Um, so we've so we've done Genesis 37, which was Joseph in his father's house. We've skipped Genesis 38, uh, which is the sad story of, of Judah and his family. Um, we looked at chapter 39 um, earlier today. Um, so that was Joseph in Potiphar's house. Um, and then now chapter 40 of Genesis, but also a few verses from the end of uh, chapter 39, um, looking at um, Joseph in the, in the prison house. So what I want to, um, I, wa- I want to break it up into a few uh, categories. Um, so I've got four categories. I want to break this passage up into um, and the first category is uh, Joseph's condemnation. Um, so that's the, the last few verses of chapter 39. So that's 39 verses 19 to 23. Um, the second category is Joseph's sufferings in the prison house. And for that one, I, I don't think it really comes out that much in this chapter, but we do have a verse, and Manuel uh, referred to it earlier today, there is a verse in the Psalms that refers to Joseph's um, trial in the prison house. So I want to use that scripture instead, and that's Psalm 105, 18 to 19. So we'll read all these in a minute. The third category is um, Joseph's dealings with the other prisoners, um, and that's in chapter 40 um, from, from, the, from the first verse um, through till verse 8. And then the final category, number four, is Joseph interpreting the dreams of the prisoners. And that's from verse nine of chapter 40 to the, to the end of chapter 40. So uh, I'm going to take a leaf from Manuel's book and I'm going to recruit some helpers. So if I can, if someone can please volunteer just to read that first section. So first Genesis 39, verse 19 to 23. Yeah, Nicholas, please. Thank you. Genesis chapter 39, verse, verse 13 to 23. 13? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, from verse okay. 19. 19 to 19, 23. okay. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, servant did to me after this manner. Then his ang- anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master master took him and put him into the prison a place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in the prison but the lord was with joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison committed to joseph hand all the joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Thanks, Jan Nicholas. Um, so when I mean in each of these categories that we're we're looking at, each of these passages in relation to Joseph, there are um very particular, and both brothers who have spoken already, um, Sarah and Emmanuel, both presented the same. Um, they essentially presented in the same way. They presented the characteristics of Joseph that are attributes of Christ or types of Christ. And they also presented moral lessons for us to, to learn from. So I'm going to follow the exact same pattern they did. And I want to show you from each of these categories, some attributes of Christ and some moral lessons for, for ourselves. So um, the, the thing that really comes out in Joseph throughout this particular passage or his stay in the prison house is um, his sufferings, his sufferings, um, his death, um, and the, the trial that is involved with, with each of these things. So in this first passage, I've labeled it um, Joseph under condemnation. Um, and Manuel already spoke about the first part of this earlier today. So we already know why Joseph was condemned. He was falsely condemned. He was condemned for something that he did not do. Um, and it was because Potiphar's wife could not have her way with him 
that she chose instead to turn against him and to falsely accuse him. And this resulted in Potiphar being angry and putting him into the prison house. So um, first thing to notice here is that the way Satan acts with us, um, and there are only two ways in which Satan acts. He can either act as a seducer or he can act as an adversary. Um, And we have both those things in the scriptures. The first thing Satan tries to do is he tries to seduce us. Um, to to make us um, forget about um, our standing, to forget about um, the importance of our condition, to forget about um, the Lord Jesus, to forget about the things that are important, to forget about the scriptures, to seduce us with all sorts of different things. For each of us, there are um, there are different things that will draw us away. There are different things that will. Um, seduce us away, and Satan knows exactly what those things are. But if he doesn't win, if he doesn't get his way doing that, he comes out as an adversary, and he tries to to destroy us and destroy our walk and come out in full force as a as a roaring lion. The scripture says. So, firstly, as as a picture of Christ, this exact same thing happened to our Lord Jesus um, at the start of his pub. There were two times when Satan came out against the Lord. There was at the first, at the start of his public ministry or just before it, he tempted him. And we have that account in the the first part of of several of the Gospels, where the Lord Jesus was tempted um, with the things that would have, Satan believed, would have moved his heart. Um, And he, he tried his best to make the Lord Jesus divert from his pathway of obedience. Um, We know that he wasn't successful. Um, He had, the Lord Jesus says, Satan comes later on. He says, Satan comes and he has nothing in me. Um, He had been tested and he had been found. There was nothing in our Lord Jesus that responded to that temptation. But there was a second time when Satan came to him. And that is from the Garden of Gethsemane onward. Um, The Lord Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, or as they were leaving rather, um, I I can't quite remember when it was, but in that account in John, he says to them, Now is the hour of man and the power of darkness. Um, He says, the wicked one will come and he has nothing in me. And so Satan came a second time to the Lord Jesus. But this time he didn't come seducing him because there was nothing in him that would respond to that seduction. The second time he came, he came seeking to destroy him. He came seeking to destroy him through um, the treachery of Judas, through the Um, the crowds of soldiers, through the the mass of the people who yelled crucify him, through the iniquity of Pilate, through the lies of the Jews, through the cross, through the the, the trials that led up to his death. Same two things that Joseph was confronted with. And to apply that to us as Christians, I'd like to read a scripture from 1 Peter chapter... um, and you'll find First Peter is really relevant in all things to do with suffering. Um, so I'll be referring to it a bit. So First Peter chapter 4, verse 4. And the verse says, speaking of the world, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same sink of corruption, speaking injuriously of you. That is... The world will find you not doing the things that they want you to do, not going along with them. And so they will turn and become your adversaries. They will speak evil of you. And we have in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 as well, um, the scripture that says, Be vigilant, watch. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, steadfast in faith, knowing that the self-same sufferings are accomplished in your brotherhood, which is, which is in the world. So I just wanted to start by presenting those, those two aspects of, of Satan's attacks um, against the Lord Jesus and against us and against Joseph. Pharaoh, Potiphar's wife, tried to seduce him. It didn't work. And so he comes out against him with, um, with these accusations. So the second thing I want to point out about Joseph's condemnation is that it was an unjust accusation. Um, the accusation made against him was not true. And I, 
you know, there's probably good evidence to state that Potiphar himself didn't believe this accusation. You know, the scripture does say in this passage in in Genesis 39 that he was wroth um, and he put him into the into the tower house. But it wasn't soon after that Potiphar was asking him to look after other prisoners. Um, we have that later on in the account when the when the butler and the and the baker come into the into the prison. It is Potiphar who is putting Joseph in to asking Joseph to look after them. Um, Pot, uh, Joseph was a slave. He was a Hebrew. There was no reason for Potiphar not to have him executed. He was worthless as far as the Egyptians were concerned. But he obviously had, um, whether it was Joseph's righteous conduct that stirred something in his heart and made him love him, or whether Potiphar knew the character of his wife, knew who she was, knew how deceptive she could be. Um, I believe Potiphar was, was aware that this man was innocent. And when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, Pilate was the same. He was aware that the Lord Jesus was innocent. Um, Luke chapter 23, verse 41. Um, the thief on the cross says, We indeed justly, for we receive the just recompense of what we have done. But this man has done nothing amiss. Um, John chapter 19, verse 6. Just a few people testifying of the innocence of the Lord Jesus. Um, John chapter 19, verse 6. This is, part of, uh, this is uh, Pilate here. Um, he says, when therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, crucify him, crucify him. This is like Potiphar's wife. But Pilate says to them, take him ye and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Um, but we know that Potiphar did deliver him over to be crucified. Um, he did so because it was convenient for him, um, not because he believed him to be to be a sinner. So I just want to start with those those two things about about condemnation, and and just to amend it with a, with a note as well from a verse in Second Timothy chapter three verse twelve. Um, sorry, I won't be jumping around from verse to verse this much. I think just this first part has quite a few. Uh, references but second timothy chapter 3 verse 12 there is a scripture that says and all indeed who desire to live piously in christ jesus will be persecuted and i just want to leave that out there as a as a challenge to to each one of our hearts um you know we it is easy to think that persecution is something that is that is distant to us in the country in, in which we we live, um, and perhaps some of our brothers and sisters on the on the screen um, have have a different experience of it. Um, but the the word of God says that everyone, everyone who desires to live piously in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, um, and so you can be sure of this one thing. Um, if you desire to live a godly and an upright life as a Christian in this world, you will be persecuted. Joseph was persecuted for simple things. He wasn't persecuted for some grand gesture. Um, he was persecuted because he bore testimony to the truth of God. He spoke the word of God. He conveyed the dream that he had, he had seen. Um, and he was persecuted as a result. His brothers put him into the pit. He said, he comes the, the dreamer of dreams. And Joseph resisted temptation. He refused to partake in the sin that Potiphar's wife wanted to drag him into. And the result was he found himself in a prison. Um, persecution does not need to be something that you need to think of as, as, as distant because it's foreign to your daily experience. It ought to be a part of our daily experience as Christians wherever we are. Um, the, the odd looks people give us um, if we bear testimony to the Lord Jesus, um, the way people will turn away from us, the way people will not want to be our friends, the way people will treat us differently, um, the way your school friends, your colleagues at work will think strange things of you, perhaps think you to be an unusual person um, the way you won't be invited to all the parties with all the cool kids, the way you won't be. Um, a member of the in crowd. Um, let's get real about it. We, the scripture says, if we desire to live piously in Christ Jesus, this will not be our place. 
you're not going to have a great position in this world. You're not going to be someone who is um, highly respected of all. The scripture says that we will be persecuted. Um, and just want to put that out there as a, as a challenge. How much of this do we experience in our, in our lives? Um, and so let's, let's move on to the next section. And this is um, the sufferings of Joseph in, in prison. Um, so I'd, I'd like another volunteer, please, uh, to read the next passage. Salvatore, um, please. Um, I'd like you to read, please, from Psalm 105, verses 18 to 19. Thank you. They hurt his, his feet with fetters. He was, he was laid in irons until the time that his sword came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Thanks, Salvatore. Um, so, you know, the, the, the account in Genesis doesn't really tell us much about the sufferings of Joseph in prison. And we can, we can assume a lot about it. Um, he was there unjustly. He was there for, I believe, at least two years, the scripture says. Um, he was um, forgotten by all. Um, he was um, he was not seeing the fruit of what God had promised him. Um, and you know, Psalm 105 here in these two verses that really opens it out to us. What what tested him? What tried his heart when he was in prison? There is a clear pattern of of this thing in Scripture that the sufferings always come first, and then the glory. Um, you remember the, the Lord Jesus on the, on the road to Emmaus speaking to the two disciples. Um, he said to them, I, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase the verse. It's in Luke 24, 26, if you want to look it up. But he said to them, ought ye not to know um, that the Christ should have suffered these things and then enter into his glory? Um, he said it to them as though it, it should have been apparent. It's something that they, they should have known. You know, the testimony of Scripture is so clear about this pattern. You know, David suffered first, and then he entered into his, his reign. Um, Joseph here, he suffered in manifold ways, and then he was exalted um, by, by Pharaoh. Our Lord Jesus, his life was a life of suffering. He came not to reign. He came to suffer. Um, he came to experience and to live out every form of suffering up to the utmost. But then after that, the glory. Um, it is a pattern in Scripture. And here is an, a thing for us to, to, to realize, and this is so important, that uh, the time for glory has not yet come. The time for glory is not yet for us. Um, this is a time of suffering for us, or it ought to be. Um, there will come a day. When the Lord Jesus comes to take us, that from that point onwards, we will never suffer again. There will be no more suffering. We will have the joy of being with him. We will have the amazement of, of being with him as he, as he reigns. Um, and we will have the eternal bliss of being in his presence in the Father's house. But today, in the days in which we live until that happens, is the only time in which it is possible to suffer for the Lord Jesus. And that's important. There will be no opportunity um, after this to suffer for him. Um, this is the time for suffering, and it comes, comes first. Um, now, I want to read a verse from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, just to show this. Um, I love the Apostle Paul. Um, he, was, he was such a, such a bold man, you know. He, he presented the word of God accurately and boldly, and he, he didn't flinch from calling, you know, we say we call a spade a spade. That's what the Apostle Paul did. And he, he has a bit of a jab at the Corinthians um, on this point. Um, the Corinthians, you see, they, they, were, they were doing pretty well. Um, the, their, their assembly was, was, was on fire. Um, they had all sorts of gifts in that assembly. There were lots of people there. Um, they were outwardly doing really well. There was great ministry in the assembly in Corinth. There, were great, there was great riches in the assembly in Corinth. The brothers and sisters were, were doing well in their lives. Um, they were doing so well that the Apostle Paul has a jab at them, um, not in a mean way 
but to provoke them to godliness. And he says to them in, in verse 8, he says, already you are filled. Already you have been enriched. You have reigned without us. And I would that you reigned, that we also might reign with you. He says to them, Corinthians, <laughs> if only you were reigning so that I could, I could reign with you. And this is in a passage where he tells them of his sufferings. He tells them of the, the lashings that he's had, of the, of the trials that he's gone through, of the pain that he's suffered. He calls himself an, out, an outs, outscourging. He calls himself a, a refuse, the refuse of the world, a spectacle for everybody to look at. And he says to the Corinthians, I, I pray that you be reigning so that I might reign with you. And I hope that's something that just touches our hearts. Um, you know, the... The time that we live in, um, brothers and sisters, is not a time for comfort and reigning. It is a time for, for suffering. Um, and I want to just briefly just mention a few things as to, as to why suffering is, is so wonderful. Um, just something about the beauty of, of suffering. Um, the first thing is this suffering um, reveals the heart of the sufferer. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard to, to, I don't know how to say this accurately, but if all we had of, I don't want to, I, I want to be reverent in saying this, but if all we had have known of the Lord Jesus was that he created the world and he reigned, we would miss something of him. There is something about him that we just wouldn't know. Um, like a, um, some great ruler who did some great things out of the, the, the great wealth that he had, and that was that. That's what it would have felt like to us. But how much does it just enrich our knowledge of him and attract our hearts to him so much the more to know that he suffered, so much the more to know that he wasn't just righteous, but he was righteous in the midst of suffering, to know that he wasn't just one who spoke no evil, but that when reviled, he did not revile back, to know that not just that um, he was willing to to give but that he was willing to give unto death he was willing to give himself um, and to do so for those who hated him um, just the the more you look at you know the, the offerings they were burnt up and the sweet savior came up to God and trial has that purpose um, in the Lord Jesus it brought out aroma the more the trial was put upon him the more the savior came out the more we see wonderful things coming out, the more we, we, we see his attributes shining in their fullest display. And in us, the scripture speaks of it like the refining of pure gold. Um, there are multiple scriptures that speak of it this way. The, the trial of, of suffering shows out our faith for what it is, as pure gold, as precious. You know, suffering, when you see a Christian who suffered, far more than, than anything we have experienced. You love them, don't you? You see something of such value and immensity in, in, in what they have, have been through. And there is an appreciation that there's a beauty in it. There's, there's real beauty. And, and, and suffering has that purpose. But more than that, secondly, suffering allows us to share sympathy with Christ. Our Lord Jesus suffered. Um, and if you are mocked because you speak of him, Understand that he was mocked also for speaking the word of God as the great prophet. Um, if you are ridiculed, understand that the scribes and the Pharisees ridiculed him. If you in some small way suffer some small physical punishment, understand that he went fully to the cross. Um, it brings out sympathy with him. Paul says that I, I fill up the sufferings that are left. Um, in, in, in the Christ. I don't remember where the reference for that is. But he, 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 he wants to experience more of, of sympathy with Christ. He wants to be closer to him. And this is a means by which he can. Um, and I've written here as well, a third one is that it forms us morally. It changes our character. And there's no greater example of this than Job. Job chapter 1, Versus Job chapter 41, 42, whatever it is. There's, a, there's an upright man who knows that he's upright and he's trusting in himself. And at the end, there's an upright man 
who is resting entirely upon the sovereignty and the grace of God. Suffering does that to us, whatever it might be. You know, suffering doesn't always come in the same way for each of us. For some of us, it's sickness. For some of us, it's persecution. For some of us, it's frustration. For some of us, it's not getting what we thought we'd get. For some of us, it's feeling useless. For some of us, it's, it's, it's all sorts of different things. But whatever it might be, it has its purpose, and God is using it, and he will, he will use it. Um, and I just want to add just one final thing on that point, that our response to suffering is, is important. You know, Joseph's response to suffering, it says that the word of God it tested him. It tried him. Um, and, you know, Joseph could well have said God's word was not true. He could have fainted, as, the, as Hebrew says. Hebrew says, neither despise the chastening of the Lord nor faint when being rebuked by him. They are the, the two wrong responses to suffering. It is possible to faint. I've fainted many a time before where I just give up and say, what's the point? Nothing's happening. We're not going anywhere. That's, that's an incorrect response to suffering. And to despise it, I've done that many times before too. And that's to, to pretend like the suffering isn't there. It's to pretend as though, hey, there's nothing wrong. I'm not suffering. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. How are you going? Um, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing perhaps for us when we speak to one another, to, to be honest with one another. Um, you know, when we say, how are you going, brother? You know, it's fine to say I'm, I'm struggling. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I am concerned with A, B, and C. Um, why don't we talk about it? Why don't we pray together about it? These things can be useful. We are a body and we are there to, to help, help one another in this regard. Um, and, you know, I just, I just want to, I can't help but just make a, just a small comment about today because, you know, uh, something that's, that's, you know, relevant to the, to the world today is that society today has exalted victimhood. Society today has um, elevated victimhood to a, to a high place. Um, the more you are some sort of victim in one form or another, the more the world gives you an elevated position. Um, you know what the scripture does? You know, Joseph, he wasn't going around complaining. He wasn't going around in prison I, saying, I was the man. I was the man who was sold by my brethren. I was the man who was unjustly accused. I was the man, woe is me. Joseph never spoke like that. In fact, the only time he mentions it is to the butler when he was leaving prison, right at the end after a prolonged period of time. And he only said it to him in the sense of, please remember me when you get out of here, because I was unjustly accused. And that's a challenge to us as Christians, not to take up the, 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 the line of thinking that the world presents, um, to, to understand that when we are suffering, it is from the hands of God. And it is for a purpose. And it is never, I don't believe suffering is ever not associated with, with blessing and with, with glory eventually um, in one way or, or another. So there is great blessing to it. Um, now, let's move on to the, to the next point, And that is um, Joseph dealing with the prisoners. Um, so I'd like one more uh, volunteer, please, to read from Genesis chapter 40. Gabby, all right. Gabby, off you go. Thank you. Um, Genesis chapter 40, please, uh, from verse 1, please, through to um, 8. So 1 to 8 of chapter 40. Thank you. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and, his chief, and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Um, in the prison, the in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them uh, had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And, jo and Joseph came into, into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? 
And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, and so Joseph said to them, do not interpretations, interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Thanks, Gabby. All right. Joseph's dealing with the, with the prisoners. Now, um, you know, I want to start just taking this a bit more typically um, because I think we have a beautiful picture here. Joseph was sold by his brethren and put into a pit and then sold to the, oh, he's put in a pit and then sold to, to the Gentiles. And the Lord Jesus was sold for 30 silver pieces and he was sold into the hands of the Gentiles, the Jews falsely accusing him. But then Joseph was put into the prison and the Lord Jesus was condemned then by the Gentiles to be hung upon the cross. And I think we can use that to draw a clear illustration in this passage of Joseph in the prison as our Lord Jesus at the cross. Um, our Lord Jesus at the cross in its sufferings going into death. And I want to draw out a few typical illustrations from this that are just beautiful. Um, the first thing is that wherever we find the Lord Jesus, he is supreme. When we find him in eternity past, he is the beloved of the Father. When we find him in creation, he is the one by whom the worlds were made. When we find him coming into the world, we see God's angels worshipping him. And when we find him at the cross, he is for that moment the center of literally the entire universe morally. And Joseph was no different. He went into the, everywhere he goes, he is supreme. I, I think our, our brothers have mentioned this already in the past talks. He was supreme in his father's house because he was loved. And he was supreme in Potiphar's house because he was faithful. Um, and he is, he is supreme um, in the dungeon, in the prison, um, because there even he shines. Um, and I want to just point out a few things about the way the Lord Jesus dealt with the others when he was, when he was at the cross. Um, we have here two of the prisoners being brought into the prison with Joseph. We have the butler and we have the baker, um, and they are brought into the prison and Joseph is responsible to look after them. Now, I want to present this to you typically because um, these two men, as far as we can tell from scripture, they were sinners. You know, one of them was, was eventually let out. We don't know whether that's because his innocence was proven or not. I don't know. But for all intents and purposes, they were put in prison because they were sinners. And I'll look at the screen here tonight. And there are, I don't know how many boxes this is, maybe 20. And there are 20 sinners here. And some of us, there are, there are more people in each, each screen. You know, every one of us is a sinner. And look out at your neighbors. Look out at the, the street. Look out at the, the town. Look out at the, the country. Look out at the whole world. Every human being, every human being that walks this world is a sinner. And the scripture testifies that every human being will have a dealing with the Lord Jesus in relation to the cross. And that is, that is so important because these two men, they represent something of this. Now, I just want to first, before opening that out, just, just show you something of the heart of the Lord Jesus. You know, when he was on the cross, look at Joseph here. He's like, this guy has been, he's been unjustly accused. He's been suffering and languishing in the prison. He's been just forgotten there. And he's just so caring. He, he notices that they're sad. And he says to them, why do you look so sad today? Um, you know, the Lord Jesus, when he was on the cross, you know, we know those words that he said at the cross. We, we know them, but I'll, I'll repeat them. Um, he said to, to Mary about John, your son. And he said to, to, to John about Mary, your mother. Um, he said to the father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The men who were unjustly um, torturing him um, with, with their words. Um, he, um, 
he's so careful to, he's so caring, even in his death. He's so caring when he's at the cross. He takes the time to deal with the thief about his sin. He takes the time to deal with this worthless man hung up on the cross with him and bring him into, into paradise. Um, now, these two men, they, they had dreamt dreams. And this is the reason that, that, that they were sad. Um, you know, can we, can we dream dreams as Christians? Um, do we dream dreams and seek after the interpretation of them? Uh, I've, I, I've had, I, have, I have had many friends um, who were very charismatic. And, and, you know, many of them had, had dreamed dreams and sought interpretations of it. Many of them have sought prophecies. And, and every time without fail, it is for some, some great worldly thing. Um, well, that has been my experience anyway. But I want to show you something a little bit different here with these dreams. Um, you know, there are others. I know at least of three people who have had different types of dreams. I know of a handful of people who have had dreams in which they were convicted of sin. And I believe that such dreams do happen. We have that account in the book of Job. If you'll turn with me, please, to uh, Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33, verse 23. Uh, sorry, I'll read earlier from verse um, 14. Job chapter 33, verse 14. Elihu is speaking to Job and he says to him, For God speaketh once and twice, and man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed. Then he openeth men's ears and seals their instruction. Why? That he may show them some great thing about themselves? No, that he may withdraw man from his work and hide pride from man. He keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from passing away by the sword. This person is having a dream. They are being convicted of sin and they're afraid of dying. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed and with constant strife in his bones and his life abhors bread and his soul dainty food. His flesh is consumed away from view and his bones that were not seen stick out and his soul draweth near to the pit and his life to the destroyers. This is a man tortured in his dream, a man afraid in his dream. Um, there are people who have such dreams. And there are people who don't. And there are people who feel the weight of sin. There are people who God makes them to feel in their thoughts or by reading the scriptures or by experiences in their lives to know that they are sinners, to know that they are condemned, to know that they are on the way to the pit. And Elihu says in verse 23, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand to show unto men his duty, this is Joseph. Then he will be gracious unto him and say, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Um, his flesh shall be fresher than childhood. He shall return to the days of his youth. And here's the important part. He will pray unto God and he will receive him with favor and he will see his face with shoutings and he will render unto men his righteousness. And, and on it goes. And it says in verse 29, all these things works God twice thrice with men god does not stop speaking to convict us of sin and there is an interpreter there is a joseph and i want to look at him now for this this final passage um i want someone to read just the final passage for me please in genesis chapter 40 um and now reading from verse 9 to the end of the chapter if i could have one one final volunteer Yeah, Nicholas, you've been putting your hand up every time, so I'll let you do it. Thank you. Uh, chapter, chapter 40, verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Thank you. So on to verse 23. Okay. Genesis 40, verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and the vine... And in the vine were th three branches. It was as tough it budded. It, its blossoms 
shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup, put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me make mention of me to to pharaoh and get me out of this house for indeed i was stolen away from the land of the hebrews and i also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good he said to joseph I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, the Pharaoh... In, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker, and of the chief baker among his servants and he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in pharaoh's hand but he hanged the chief baker as joseph had interpreted to them yet the chief butler did not remember joseph but forgot him thank you so this is this is a it's a it's a larger passage um that yeah nicholas has, has read for us but um, i'm not going to speak very long about it we've got nine minutes left so um i'm just gonna just to carry that thought through christ at the cross and there were two thieves one on each side of him joseph in the prison and there were two men condemned because of their sin with him and every man meets Christ at the cross, and there is only one of two possible responses to that. The Lord Jesus, he is the interpreter. He is the messenger. He is the one among a thousand um, that, that Elihu is, is speaking of. And there are only two responses. I, I, I was, I've never noticed this about this, this passage before as I was reading it. This is this is so beautiful, the detail that is found here. Um, you know, the, um, the cupbearer, look what it says of him, um, the cupbearer's dream. There was a vine he saw, and there were three branches on it, and it budded and it blossomed. The vine is, is our Lord Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. And he was full of fruit. He was the righteous man who bore fruit for God. But then the... Uh, the, the butler takes the grapes and he squeezes them into the cup. And, you know, we, we, we know what the cup of wine is an illustration of. It is an illustration of the blood of Christ. He applies it to himself. He takes the blood of Christ and he squeezes it. Um, the baker, he, he does something different. He bakes bread and victuals, and he makes three trays of these wonderful pastries that he has put so much effort into making, and he's ready to present them to Pharaoh. But the birds come down and they eat the bread off the baskets on his, on his head. This is illustrated by the two thieves on the cross, and it is illustrated by Cain and Abel. That they are the two responses to the death of Christ 
either to say, I believe that the death of Christ has procured for me salvation. I believe that his precious blood, apart altogether from my own works, is my salvation. Or to say, I don't need it. I will do very fine without it. Thank you very much. I'll work extra hard and I'll be an extra good person. That's as simple as that. You know, Cain, he didn't work hard. He worked hard for his offering. He brought the first fruits of the ground, an offering. But Abel, he brought a sheep. They were two, they were two totally different mindsets. I want to read to you a verse from, from uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Romans chapter 4, verse 5 says, and if you just pay attention to the words of this verse, it's just, it's, I can't believe it's in the scripture. You just, the first time I read this, this verse, I was just floored. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, I cannot believe you know, we, we, we're so careful when we, we speak the word of God to be careful to guard the rights that, that belong to God. But we can quote scripture here where it says, but to him who does not work. I'm just going to repeat that again. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Here are the requirements to get out of the prison like the, the butler did. Firstly, not to work. Firstly, not to rest in our own righteousness. Firstly, to understand that there is nothing we can do to please God, but to rest in the righteousness that Christ offers, to rest in the, in the salvation that is found in his blood. And the opposite of that to each one of us is to work. And you can work all you like. You can do you can do the greatest of things in this world and you will be rejected by God. You know why? Because the birds will eat the bread from the baskets upon your head. Do you know what the birds speak of? They speak of evil spirits. We have that in the parable of the Lord when the, the soul went out to sow. Satan, he came and he snatched up the seed that was sown. The satanic spirits take away the good of man's righteousness. Um, and you can see a million illustrations of this in the world. Look at every great movement that has started in order to, to make this world a better place. In every single one of them, corruption has come out in one form or another, and it has been destroyed. Look at all the, the different movements that this world, every now and every age has its own movements. Every age has its own people that rise up to try in one way or another to make this world a better place. And each movement like the one before it, some form of corruption or evil comes out and destroys it. Look at your own heart and think, have you, have you been able to be righteous? Have you been able to follow the commandment of the law entirely? Have you been able to do this? Or has there been some wickedness that has come up in your own heart to convict you that you're not able to? The Apostle Paul says, I've kept all the commandments blameless. But the last commandment came and it said, thou shalt not lust. And he said, it slew me. It killed me because I did not have an ability not to lust. And friends or brothers and sisters, every one of us. Cain's religion is good for nothing. You can try to improve your soul, cultivate it, make it better. You can try to improve the world. You can try to make it a better place. But you will go to your grave, a sinner, entering into the judgment before God. And that's exactly what happened to the baker. Um, he, he went out in three days. Three days speaks to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. In his death, there is salvation for those who believe. And in his death, there is condemnation for those who don't. The scripture says that um, if one were dead, then all. If one died for sin, then we're all dead. Or Sorry, I got that wrong. If one died for all, then we're all dead. The Lord Jesus had to die for every single person. Um, and if, if that was necessary, then each one of us is, is as good as dead. 
So I think that's pretty much the, our, our time up, and except that I just want to make just two little brief references here on a practical note. Um, firstly, that Joseph asks the, um, the, the butler to remember him. He says, when you're freed, please remember me before Pharaoh, because I was unjustly put into this prison um, and I was, I, I'm, even, I'm not even meant to be in Egypt. I was sold here by my, by my brethren. And I want you just to look at a verse in Ecclesiastes 9.15. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 15. Um, Ecclesiastes just after Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 14, sorry. It says, there was a little city and a few men within it. And there came a great king against it and encompassed it and built great bulwarks against it. And there was found in it a poor wise man who by his wisdom delivered the city. But no man remembered that poor man. Um, there are a few people like this in scripture who did some great thing and they were forgotten. Um, I remember a brother praying about this on a Sunday morning. Um, he mentioned Joseph. And you mentioned this poor man in Ecclesiastes and you mentioned Mordecai when he saved the king um, from a treacherous plot. And it was written in a book and everyone had, had forgotten about it. And we can add one more. We can add a fourth one. And that's the Lord Jesus. This world has forgotten him. He has, by his death, provided the means of its salvation. And the world has, he's nothing. He's an afterthought to this world. Um. But to each of us who are saved, this is a commandment to us. He said, in this way, remember me. This was the desire of, of his heart. I'm not speaking about whether Joseph was, was right or wrong in, in seeking this from the, from the butler. Um, but I, but I, I will say this, that this was, he sought sympathy. He sought understanding. He sought a heart to remember him. He sought someone to have compassion with him. Um, and our Lord Jesus never had that when he was here on this earth. Um, he, his disciples forsook him and fled on the night of his betrayal. But we have the privilege week by week to remember him. We have the privilege to every week remember him in his own, in his own presence. Um, maybe not in the same way now that we are, we are, we are separated. Um, but look, wherever there is an opportunity to do it, the scripture says two or three. Whenever there is an opportunity for two or three to be found gathered together on a first day of the week, remember him. And that's what he desires. Um, and it's the, it's the delight of his heart. He doesn't ask you to work, the scripture says, in that way. He'd love it if you, if you, if you work for him too. Um, but he says, remember me. Um, he says, remember me. And that's a, it's a, it's a, um, a wonderful thing for, for each, each one of us to um, to take to heart. And if you're, if you're saved, if you know the Lord Jesus, and this is not something that you've done, do it. You don't need to understand anything um, of great depth in the scriptures. The scripture never says that you need to be a um, mighty in the word in order to, to break bread. The scripture never says that you need to be um, a model of the brethren. It never, scripture never says that you need to be a certain age. The scripture says, um, in this way, remember me. Or well, the Lord Jesus says it himself. If you love him and you're saved, um, you desire to remember him. And this is what he, he would want. And we've just got to, to one hour. So I think we'll close it there.